Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you to those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments. So imagine yourself discovering that thing, that answer to that question that you didn't even think to ask, that can change your trajectory or at least bring you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. I come to you from the balcony of my sumptuous apartment here in Las Vegas, Nevada, known to some as the hottest city in America. You may, depending on how my noise cancellation is going here, the gentle hum of a neighbor's air conditioner or that neighbor themselves. That's right. These are some of the things you hear in the background when you're having those discoveries. So I love to feature conversations with folks who have found the ability to not only monetize but prosper from their own individual intersection of their brilliance and their passion. And that is what today's guest has to share with us. His name is Zachary Layden. Now, he uniquely blends the worlds of tech, equestrian artistry, and business. So he's going to tell his story in just a moment. So I'm just going to give you a few of the highlights. He is the owner of Ocean View Stables, which is essentially a, an opportunity. Actually, basically, it's a horse ranch. So it's right there on the ocean. If you go to the website, you'll see this beautiful picture of a horse riding trail right along, I believe it's the Pacific Ocean. He'll correct me on that in a second if I'm incorrect about that. And we're going to discover things like how did he build his horse business and what is it that horsemanship does to help people with their leadership skills and other intriguing questions like that. Again, sometimes we get the best answers to our questions when we ask them in places we don't normally go. So Zachary is, he's a military veteran, and that influenced part of his development as well. He also has approached this world of equestrianism business with a unique tech-savvy perspective as a computer science student who's set to obtain his master's here in about a year or so. So he's open to connecting with individuals sharing interests in horses, business, and tech. And he extends an invitation to anyone intrigued by the intersections of these fields. So whether you're drawn by the clatter of hooves, the art of leadership, or the world of coding, Zachary Layden offers a rich, multifaceted perspective. And I am very honored that he accepted my invitation to be here on the Business Creators Radio Show. Zachary Layden, come on and weather's fine. All right. So that was a great introduction, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yep, yeah. I read off just a piece of your official bio, and just oh, that part great. alone is so impressive that 
I'm not even sure I'm worthy to be here and this is my show. So what I want to do is because you have such a great story is I want to take something that we do on every episode anyway and really turn up the volume of it and start by turning it over to you and have you tell us a bit about your journey in your own words and what has brought you to this place today where you serve from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah, okay. So it started when I got out of the military. I I got out of the military and I went to school like you would expect using the GI Bill, following the normal trajectory. I you know, got a real job and and I I was uh, suffering from PTSD. I had anxiety. I was I didn't feel like I I could find purpose and 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 it kind of it, it it was leading me down a path of of uh you know just uh, emptiness really and yeah I I got an opportunity to uh to work with horses again uh, a gentleman a guy named Dan uh, he was a Vietnam vet and he had uh, some mustangs that he tipped and he he asked me to come over to his facility and help him and um, through that I I started finding purpose again and I I started feeling whole again and and it, I mean horses just saved my life um, and I. I was in a position where, you know, I was kind of on rock bottom and I was like, you know, there's never a better opportunity than when you've got really no responsibility, no leadership, nothing, nothing holding you from following your dreams. So I, I just went for it. Um, and I, I was mostly just kind of shooting from the hip at first. Uh, I was, I was making it work and I was using the skills that I, that I uh, acquired from the military to get some contracts. I, I was interning with people. I, was able to take a land navigation um, and uh, you know my my background in uh, land navigation and hunting and uh, being able to to navigate uh, forestry pretty well and I started taking people on for pack trips uh, and that's kind of where I was at until my my uh, which is now my wife came into the picture and um, she in her own right is an amazing horse lady and uh, she came in and we were I had some horses and we were working with them and. And our philosophies connected so well, and we started to develop a really good program. Um, I mean, there's so much nuances of how I got from from you know leaving the military at rock bottom to buying a multi million dollar horse facility in San Francisco. That's you know it would take a long time to explain that whole process, uh, but it, it really all started with with finding horses that saved me, and then finding my wife that uh, put all the the big picture together. That's amazing. Uh, I grew up in the country in southwestern Pennsylvania. I didn't have the same exposure to horses that you did because while I grew up on land, uh, most of the animals were cats and dogs that were indoor. But I do remember when I was young, uh, up in the upper yard, there was the whole, a whole third of the property was fenced off is the exclusive domain for Rex the Pony. Uh, he was a little pony and I'm told he had blue eyes of some sort my memories were going up to the edge of the fence and rex would come down to meet me but uh for some reason i never really rode him very much he hung out there until he uh you know he lived a good happy life and then after he passed on they took down the fence they didn't have any more ponies or any more horses but that was my equestrian experience so um you know and i've done horse rides at uh at nature preserves and things like that but I'm not quite into it as much as you are. So I'm looking forward to learning a bit about it from you. So, uh, you know, you brought us right to the point where I'd like to get started with our conversation is uh, once you found your 
passion and brilliance when it comes to being involved with the horse business and you met your wife and all these things came together. How did you build that business? Yeah. So at the beginning, you know, God bless my wife, but we were living in you know, a little trailer on land, you know, just had horses that ate better than us was living off the top ramen at first. It was yeah. the horses ate like Kings. And, and I, and I figured it out. Um, we lived pretty close to an equine college, a college where you can get a bachelor's degree in equine science and management. Um, and my wife uh, was going to that school. I took a few courses there, but she was uh, adamantly going to the school. And um, I was working with uh, several uh, people in the horse industry um, for free, really, just to to gather the knowledge and to to uh, acquire um, some contracts and, and and really try to build our business up. Um, one of the clever things I did, um, starting off with, you know, not much, um, is, you know, I leveraged the GI Bill um, so that I would uh, be able to pay and sustain the the basic needs because the GI Bill pays for uh, your your housing, essentially. And uh, yeah, and so that was one of the sustainable pieces. Another thing I did was I knocked on doors of, of places, properties, houses that had overgrown grass and large plots of land. And I let them know that I have some horses and I can eat down their uh, their uh, fire danger. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, I was able to, to acquire a good chunk of land uh, with that process. And um, and I would just rotate the horses on that. And, and so it was, it, it seemed to go exponentially. Um, it went from, you know, us starving and struggling and, and me having the confidence to go in and, and get these contracts and uh, walk in like I, like I, I should be there, uh, you know, fake it till you make it. And um, eventually we got enough contracts and we were able to, to uh, build our herd and, and build our business uh, all the way up till, you know, it was still a struggle up until a, a certain pivoting point. My, my wife was missing her family who lived in the Sacramento area. Yeah. And uh, she kept uh, expressing her, her um, want to go back in that area. So one day I went out there and I, I started looking at all of the, the horse properties and ranches in the area and was looking for a property that was underutilized. And, and I found one. And so what I did from there was put together an entire package of how that property could be uh, better utilized and, and, and you could put together better systems to make more money. And I went to the person who, who, who had control of the land and I, I proposed this idea and I showed it to him like, listen, you have two choices. Here's, here's the, the, the blueprint and I'll give this to you for free. You can, you could try to make this thing work. Um, but I guarantee I can make it work. So if you want to take on the risk, here it is, you can make a lot more money or, you know, we could, we can build a partnership. You can let me come on board and uh, you'll get a percentage of, of, of the, the uh, earnings that we get here. And, and I'll make this whole plan work. Uh, the gentleman that I proposed that to liked the idea, um, signed a contract with us. We came on and, and I uh, followed through and I made it happen. Uh, and that was the, the first big contract. Um, eventually, it went. that was a, a, a county-owned facility. And uh, when that person's contract lapsed, I put it in for the full uh, 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 RFP for the property. And, and I won. And uh, so I was a fairly young person. Uh, taking on a 300-acre facility right in the heart of uh, Sacramento. That was that was a huge uh, leap for me, and and uh, yeah, it brought me brought me to a, a point of success. Yeah, 
All right. Yeah, and I think the next big thing on that is is tech. I also put a book online software. And I think I'm probably the first person in California, maybe Northern California, to have book online in the horse industry. So that was a big part too. Oh wow! So you published a book yourself? Oh no, book online. So I had I had the ability. Oh to, book on. Oh, I'm. Yeah, uh, for, yeah. Forgive me. The idea to book the rides online and things like that. Yeah, I did see that on yeah. your website. Today, that seems totally normal, but 10 years ago, nobody was doing it, not in the horse industry. So, Yeah, I mean, 10 years ago, when it came to things like uh, the equestrian industry and a lot of things having to do with rural stuff, for lack of a better phrase, uh, the internet was, believe it or not, still kind of a new thing. It's, I mean, if you rewind 10 years ago, and uh, still in small towns around America, you would have the local businesses that would resist the idea of at least having a website and a, a somewhat curated social media presence. Because they'd say, my family's owned this shop for three generations. Everybody knows us. They see us at the grocery store. We're at the church. We're at the Rotary Club. We don't need no website. They know we're right there in the corner of Main and Fifth. They can walk right in. Well, and the story I love to tell is when I first moved to Las Vegas 10 years ago, uh, first night I was here after I got all my stuff delivered and ordered furniture, and my cats destroyed my inflatable mattress, and I knew I was going to have two nights of sleeping on a hard floor before the bed I just ordered arrived. Uh, I wanted to find, I wanted to go somewhere and hang out and have a cigar. So I found this thing on the counter called a yellow pages uh i used that as a doorstop and i pulled out my smartphone i typed in the search term i still remember it eight nine one two eight cigar lounge let's go and i found one it was a uh, half a mile away from me so people search locally or excuse me search globally to find locally and then they want to be able to have the online experience to reserve a horse ride and they may be two miles away where they live yeah, yeah. And the it's such a crazy thing because even today, this is, you know, 2023, and there's still a lot of people in the horse industry that, that still don't have, a, you know, a proper online presence. And it's, it's just uh, mind boggling, really. Yeah, yours. Uh, yeah, I have a, a couple insights that are based on me having checked out your website. But as I was thinking about our conversation earlier that we we're going to be having now, and just combined with some things you've mentioned i cannot remember the name of this movie but it came out maybe 15 years ago i i want to say that richard krenna starred in it uh in fact i think he did he played the grandfather and it was him and his old buddy and his grandson who were riding their horses from wherever they were coming from to the pacific coast and i remember that the first night that they camped the the grandfather told the grandson because the grandson was going into the uh going into the picnic basket and uh, getting out his dinner he said oh no 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 you don't eat until your horse eats and that yeah then that, and, that, and just it just occurs to me that that has some metaphor for leadership and uh, i remember now that i think of it when I was very young and I used to go over my grandfather's house, my grandmother's house, and that's when when Rex owned the upper yard, that uh, my grandfather and grandmother's younger children, uh, before they sat down to dinner, my grandfather would ask him, has Rex been fed? And if he hadn't been fed, they had to go feed him and then come back and have their own dinner. Yeah, that's that's the way it is uh, in the horse industry, too. You, you got to take care of your animals before you take care of yourself. 
Yeah. Uh, you got to take care of your employees before you take care of yourself. You need to make sure that they have what they need to get their job done. Uh, it's same thing in the military. You take care of your soldiers before you take care of yourself. It's across the board, any type of leadership, you, you know, you got to be the servant of your people, servant of your horses, servant of your employees. It's um, the job of leadership is, is kind of a selfless one. Yeah. So taking this a step further, um, how in your experience, Zachary, does horsemanship help people with their leadership skills and, and particularly in ways that may not seem obvious on the surface? Horsemanship helps with leadership and got a lot of ways, but here's one specific. When you want to get something done with a horse, you got to look at it like this. If, if you are working with a horse, you're making him a little better or a little worse every time you work with them. And if you can't tell me exactly how you've made them better, you've made them worse. They work off of pressure and release the pressure and, 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 and they're very present and, and they, they're, they're very intelligent and they think everything that you do has a purpose. So you have to go into every experience with a horse deliberately. You need to know what it is that you want to, to get through with the horse and you need to go in there with that end goal and you need to be working towards that end goal. If you're going in there and you have no direction and you have no idea, then again, your horse is going to believe that you have a lot of direction, you have a lot of ideas. So every little thing that you're doing that you may be doing just for fun has a real world impact on that horse. That horse thinks that you're doing it deliberately. Um, so it's the same thing with, with leadership outside of the horse realm. When you're trying to get things done, if you're going into a situation without any idea of what you're doing and you think you're just going to wing it, uh, you know, you're, the, the people that are following you, the people that are looking up to you think that everything you're doing is deliberate. And so you, you might accidentally make things worse um, if you don't have a direct deliberate plan. Does that make sense? Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And what immediately occurred to me is, uh, for people who work in corporate environments and also entrepreneurs who have clients will sometimes find themselves, sometimes even involuntarily, analyzing what their boss said, what their client said. Um, have there have been any changes in the frequency of communication. Uh, what was that thing? What, what did they mean by that statement they made on the, t on the team meeting a week ago last Tuesday? And it's because in that situation, they're looking to who in that dynamic is the leader and just the fact that that leader is making moves and in the, sometimes just in the form of saying words, it has us spinning like, and you know, and I experienced this when I became a leader, I started my business, I started working with contractors, um, everybody who works with my company, except for one, has been with us for over 10 years, one has been with us for 20 years, our, our graphic designer, and uh, I have an assistant in Paraguay who's been with us for four and a half years. And I have had experiences with every single one of these individuals, where at some point, they came, they messaged me on Skype or, or Messenger or whatever, and uh, they would make a comment that indicated to me that something I had said or something I had done or not said or not done, all of a sudden had them thinking and they were either worried or wondering. And, yeah. and, and at first I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, well, I didn't mean anything by that. Uh, uh, I didn't, I didn't respond to your email because I was, I just uh, took a nap that turned into me turning in for the night. It meant it, it was, it was nothing. I was just really tired. I, I laid down at three 30 and I thought I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, grab a nap here for about two hours, come back, finish up with a little bit more fuel in the tank. But then I just uh, 
just uh, went straight from the couch to the bed around midnight and woke up the normal time the next morning. I really literally wasn't even thinking of you. But the fact that they were wondering why my communication had abruptly stopped in the middle of the day had them wondering, did I do something wrong? Did something happen to you? Is uh, is there an issue? Is everything okay? So just yeah, little things happens. like that. That happens a, a, a lot. And leadership is such a, a delicate thing. So something more delicate in the horse side, and I, I teach people this in my leadership courses. I do leadership through horsemanship courses at our uh -huh. facility. And uh, I, I bring a horse into the round pen. And I like to tell people, I'm going to show you the closest thing in the real world to being a Jedi. And I'll stand in the middle of the round pen and I'll have the horse going around. And I will move very subtly. And then the horse will change directions. And then I'll make another subtle move. And the horse changes directions again. And then I'll make a subtle move and the horse will start trotting. And then another subtle move and the horse will start loping. And then another move and then it'll go back down to a trot. And another move and it'll go back down to a walk. All while you could barely see what it is I'm doing. And the horse is so in sync with me. And it's looking at these little tiny movements that I'm doing. And, and we're having a dance. And then I can turn my body just a little bit more and take a step back and that horse will follow me. It'll stop walking altogether. It'll turn into me. And then as I walk, it'll follow me like a puppy dog. And, and this is a thing I do often because you might not have seen all of these subtle moves, but you can absolutely see what the horse is doing with all my subtle moves, which yeah. means that there, there is a force in each one of these little tiny moves and they all have something to, to, to offer the conversation. And, you know, a lot of what's said is not said verbally. And, when you see something like that, it really puts it into perspective. It happens with horses and you can really see it, but it also happens with people. Your nonverbals, they, they, they do a lot. Your, your nonverbal communication, even like you said, just not messaging somebody back uh, and going to bed. You didn't see it. It, it was not deliberate. Uh, yeah. But, but those, those nonverbal uh, communication points have huge impacts on. on right. Your, on your oh, ability. yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, like, you know, I noticed, you know, people were thinking a lot about me and what that meant. And I just said, I, I, I started with what I thought was just going to be like a quick two hour nap. And I'd come back with, uh, with my battery, at least partially recharged and uh, finish up for the day. And then I uh, ended up dozing off and waking up around 1130 at night. And I was just with it enough to uh, drag myself from the couch to the bed where I kind of fell into it and then didn't wake up till the next morning. So they were thinking a lot about me. I wasn't thinking, li I literally was not thinking about them or anything really. In, fa in fact, in fact, uh, I was amazed I was conscious enough to remember moving more from one room to the next. I it was just coming off a long streak of, uh, of the hustle and grind and, it uh, and my physiology, you know, put up the hand and said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! We're taking a break here." That's all it was, but yet it caused a stir. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if maybe your employees don't know how many hats you have to wear to be a, an owner of of a business. And, uh, I, I work, going, but yeah, I work, I work exclusively with contractors who have their own businesses, their own teams, and have all the same stuff that I do, and I like it that way because most of the time they get it. Yeah. No, so, uh, yeah, I don't really have anybody who's like a W-2 type employee or anything uh, of that of that realm. But, you know, think about it. If you have W-2 employees, uh, generally speaking, you are or your business is their paycheck. It is their living. They're not unless they have yep. side hustles that are doing really well. 
uh, they don't really have a whole lot else going on where just by changing the percentage of attention they give, they can shift their income on a dime. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, you're making very subtle moves that people might not even notice you're making. And, uh, but however, the horse notices everything and reacts very strongly and very visibly to it. Do you train the horse to pick up on these clues or is this something that the horse themselves just kind of integrates with in their own mind? Yeah. So the kind of horsemanship that uh, we practice uh, with what, what we're specifically talking about in most of our training methods, we, we look at a horse and what they do naturally in their herd in the wild and and the kind of movements that they do naturally so this whole uh getting the horse to move their their legs it's it's a a part of their um herd hierarchy process so the the head horse in their herd let's say a new horse is coming into that herd well that head horse is going to push that horse out and it's going to move its feet and it's going to move it around until that horse submits to him and, and turns into him uh, and then that horse, if the, the lead horse allows him, will follow him into the herd and he'll allow him to go in. And then the next uh, horse in that rank structure will do the same thing until that horse finds its place in, in the herd. So what we're doing in the round pen is we're kind of uh, replicating that natural um, uh, herd experience. And I'm moving his feet around the way that, that the uh, lead horse would. And when the horse has a lot of respect for you, then it's looking in to you trying to figure out okay wh where's the release of pressure what what are you asking of me I'm, I'm ready to do it and so when i'm working with a horse that is you know really involved in, in in a part of my team then i can make subtle moves and that horse is going to react appropriately to the subtle moves if the horse thinks maybe i might be you know the leader and 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 you don't know what you're talking about well then it won't react the same way and and then i might have to move his, his feet a little bit more uh, and, you know, put a little bit more pressure on until he, he decides, okay, it might be better for me to listen. So yeah. that's, that's kind of the process on that. Okay. So there is, so what I'm picking up is the combination of, of overtraining with leveraging their own natural behaviors of the way they would behave in the wild uh, with their, with their packs of horses and putting those two things together to um, gain mastery over the horse's ability to react to your subtle cues, very visibly and marked. Yeah, 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 and it. yeah, and I'm also thinking there's a perception thing. Uh, I, you know, when I, I think Rex the pony was around until I was about, I think like eight years old or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but I was still pretty young when, uh, when he passed on and they took the fence down and suddenly that whole upper yard was mine to run with. But I know that um, when Rex was around, I did not go through that fence. Because wherever he was, even if he was fast asleep in his barn, uh, I wouldn't be all the way. I wouldn't be all the way through the barbed wire of that fence, and he'd be coming down to greet me. And uh, and uh, you know, you know, for an eight-year-old uh, or, or younger, you know, th there's this there's this animal coming at you that doesn't speak your language, and uh, he looks huge, and he's doing his and all that, and uh, gets close to you, and then he bucks up on his hind on his hind legs a bit. And I'm um, thinking, oh, my God, what is this dinosaur I just released? Now, as an adult, uh, and, I, and, I, and I say this lovingly, uh, ponies are something I kind of point and laugh at and say, oh, you're just a 
pony. And, uh, and, and, I, and I say that lovingly. Uh, you know, I look at the pictures on your website from your from your pony ride section, and it has all the pictures of you, and I believe it's you and your wife, and and uh, those may be your kids or maybe somebody, um, you know, some customers of yours. And these kids are riding the ponies, and proportionally, it looks like an adult on a horse, which just emphasizes how small a pony is. But when you have different perspectives, like when you're a small person or a young person, um, or you're maybe a little bit lower in the pecking order, something or some creature or some person uh, may appear huge to you, but they're really, they're really just the normal size. And that can have an impact on you psychologically. Yeah. You know, the a full-size horse could be like 1,200 pounds. And they're big, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't care who you are. The 1,200-pound animal is a 1,200-pound beast. And yeah. the, the idea to, to force a 1,200-pound animal to do anything is, is pretty scary. It's, it doesn't work that way with, with if you really, you know, the horse isn't going to do anything unless it wants to. Whether it wants to do it out of fear or out of respect or love, it's, it's only going to do it when it wants to do it. And, you know, the new style of horsemanship is this, you know, beautiful thing where you build a, a connection with the horse. And uh, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing when you can do that and you can get the horse wanting to be with you. It's a resistance-free style of uh, natural horsemanship. And my wife is, is amazing at this and she's been doing it since she was like 12. And, and uh, I've, I've been following suit for, for God, about 10 years pursuing this natural yeah. horsemanship way of getting the horses to be with me but yeah you know how we let veterans ride for free when the veterans come out you know these are warriors and they look at these horses and they're like what do you want me to do with this thing no way that's huge. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh yeah it's it's a it's a cool humbling experience when you see somebody who's a who's a warrior come out there and have to you know have to reassess the situation and and humble themselves and, and regulate themselves so that they can work with the horse. It's really cool. Yeah. Now, I personally um, did not serve in the military, so I don't have the same perspective on this as you do. But I've given this some thought over the years, uh, particularly when it comes to assessing what is a military hero. And, you know, it's it's the ones that go into forward combat uh, maybe they get wounded. Maybe they are part of some epic battle that uh, changes history or something like that. That tend to get all the glory, and they're looked at as the true military heroes. And I put that in quotes. But at the same time, the the grunt who works in the mess hall, peels the potatoes, uh, the person who who cleans the barracks, uh, the ones who stand guard at the base, they're just as heroic because those warriors would not be able to do what they do without the soldiers back at the base doing those roles. Um, they say they say an army marches on its stomach. Well, if that army doesn't have uh, doesn't have three squares a day and good nutrition uh, that uh, and plenty of it, and they don't have competent cooks and chefs creating nutritious meals, they're going to suffer. So, to me, the you know the cook has as much to do with winning victories as the as the person on the front line and i take that one step further and i and i think what is a warrior and that and you and you correct me if i'm wrong about this because you know more about this than i do but there may be some who are really good at 
uh, flying a helicopter or being the gunner on a helicopter. There may be some who are really good at being snipers or being machine gunners. And then there are those who are experts at crawling through tunnels and doing subterfuge and going behind enemy lines and wreaking havoc there. And of all those different types of warriors I just described, each of them may have just that one skill and may not even be able to do some of the other things. So what that tells me is that there's a lesson in leadership when it comes to understanding where each person's strength is and embracing the fact that they don't have every strength. Yeah. It, it, you know, in the military, it's a, it's a whole system and every it's a machine. I mean, there's, there are vets, there are vet techs, there's cooks, there are uh, barbers. I think there's still barbers <laughs> there. Yeah. You know, there, there's all of these different pieces. There's the communication side. There's the intelligence side. There are so many jobs that are not directly combat. Uh, I, I was in combat. That was, I was, uh, you know, infantry and a uh, special operations unit it was a long range surveillance. And, you know, I guess what you could say is a glorified uh, picture taker. <laughs> I yeah. You know, went up on mountains and sat there for many days at a time. That was that was that one job. And then you get that information and you send it off to the, uh, you know, the intelligence group. They figure out if that's relevant information, package it, then they send it off to um, a, a, an element that goes in and, and takes the target if that's the way they want to do it. But it's all of these moving pieces and everybody only gets a little piece of the big picture. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't really know what's going on outside of the scope of what you have, but when you put the whole thing together, there's, there is something going on. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a well, well-oiled machine. And I don't think that the infantry guys are the, you know, or the, the, the combat guys or the special operation guys, those aren't, they might be the ones that are getting the glory. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it doesn't work without every other piece of it. So uh, it's kind of like NASCAR. You got your NASCAR driver. That guy is, is the one that everybody loves and cares about. But if he didn't have the, the pit, he can't, he can't play his game, right? So. Yeah, if uh, if uh, he's in a race and he blows a tire and he's got to pull over the pit stop, if they can't get his tire replaced within seconds, he loses the race. It's It, it depends yeah. on how fast they can get that tire replaced and get it on securely so it won't fly off and he can just zoom right back into the race. He still has a chance of winning. Yeah, that's that's a talent in itself. You, it, they get no recognition on this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> in the military, though, every everybody everybody is a hero you do your honorable time you're a hero uh so veterans ride for free at our facility and early on in building this business there is there's this one guy uh, i met at the va he was upset he was at the va getting help and he wanted the va to, to give him a ride home which is something that they do uh but they they were you know missing vehicles i'm not sure what was going on but uh, i overheard and he happened to live close to the ranch so I decided, okay, I'll give you a ride home. As we were driving back, uh, he started telling me his story, and and I, I was thinking maybe maybe horses would help him the way they helped me. And so I was like, hey, you want to go to the ranch? You want to uh, check out uh, the facility? And I brought him there and let him get on a horse, and and he uh, he he did a little ride, came back. I was like, okay, I'll take you home. And he asked if he could stay. Uh, so he ended up staying, grooming horses, and hanging out until the end of the day. Um, and then he asked if I could pick him up and come back the next day. And I, I did. And he came out for a month or two and, and through him coming out, I started 
you know, I was like, you know what? I'm going to cut all the red tape. I'm just going to let veterans come. I think this was good for him and I'd like to see it be good for others. Uh, and he told me that he was going to go home and kill himself the, the day that I drove him to the ranch and that changed everything for him. Uh, wow. so this is, you know, that that's a part of my big mission. I want to help horses and I want to help veterans. Um, and this gentleman was not combat. Uh, he was not a combat guy and he's had severe traumas for, for his own reasons, uh, related to the military in a sense, but, but not combat related. You know, we all have, have things that, 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 uh, affect us. And, um, yeah, and he was a warrior just like everybody else. And he, he deserved the, the respect and the love that, that even the combat guys get, you know? Yeah. You know, this is slightly off topic, but since we're talking about, uh, you know, the military and, uh, and building culture and things like that, one of the things that uh, I've learned most about, because I really love studying history. Uh, I love reading biographies and autobiographies. And one of the people who's always fascinated me was General George S. Patton. And I learned something about his leadership style as a general. Uh, he was an incredible stickler for accuracy and perfection in uniforms. All the buttons had to be buttoned exactly correctly. They had to be they had to be positioned exactly correctly. All the metals had to be lined up exactly like they were supposed to be. Uh, there could be no creases, no wrinkles. The shirts had to be tucked in perfectly. Uh, you, I mean, and if you if your uniform was off by one thing, uh, he would tear into you. Also, he insisted that people who were around him thought a certain way and spoke a certain way. Now, you'd be thinking, oh, this is a guy who just demands absolute conformance is creating robots. To the contrary, what he was doing was creating a culture and a cadre of leaders who could anticipate him and could function independently of him. So when they were command, when they were in command positions in the heat of a battle, they would know what decisions to make and they would have his knowledge downloaded to them so they could make the best decisions without having to call back to headquarters and ask what to do. So, so something that seemed like it was actually repressing people and take away their freedom was actually creating a new space for freedom of action and the ability to function independently and show leadership uh, when it really counted. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. It's it's the the discipline and the the repetition in the military. You go through training, and you're constantly doing these these uh, training exercises that are what you would think pretty mundane and, and and annoying and repetitive. And how many times are we going to do this pattern? How many times are we going to do this? And yeah, and you go through it over and over and over again. And it's like your your whole life is you know workouts, train you know, do these, these repetitive exercises, go to the gun range, do these repetitive exercises, you know, study like it, 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 it when I was young, I was in the military fairly young. I joined when I was 17. I was um, in this unit quickly and, and it blew my mind how annoying that was. And then I went to Afghanistan and when you get put under fire and, and you, you have to think on the spot, you're not really thinking it's your subconscious. And then what happens is all of this repetition just happens you don't need to you don't need to think you you've done it so many times that this is now your 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 nature this is what you do and your your subconscious takes over and, and you can move as a strong well-formed team and you can make 
decisions that you probably consciously couldn't even do because of all that repetition. It's, I, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. So how many times did you have to disassemble and reassemble your rifle? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I, you're, we're talking PTSD, non-trauma PTSD right there. That's it. Oh my yeah. gosh. That was, yeah. that, that was not a fun uh, task. And now I do it for fun. It's so weird. I, when I was in the military, I, I hated that. And now, you know, I have my own weapons and, and I'll take them apart and clean them while I'm watching cartoons with my daughter, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think I know the answer to this one. Again, I, I always check rather than assume because especially when I'm speaking with a veteran is that um, let's say something happens to your gun while you're in the middle of a hot zone. Well, you don't want to be thinking about how do I fix my gun when there are bullets flying around. You want that to be on autopilot because while you're fixing your gun, you still need to have your senses open and have your head on a swivel for what's going on around you. Absolutely. It should be second yeah. nature. You should be able to pop that open, fix the, the malfunction, throw it back in and get back into it. Exactly. Um, it's exactly the same as, as, as I mean, not the same, but it, it relates to the horse world too, because in the horse world, it's all, you know, consistency and reputation and repetition makes a good horse. You can continuously tell them what the right answer is and, and you stay consistent with it. And you're, you, you know, they, the horses like that. They like to know what the right answer is. And if you can stay perfectly consistent and give them the right answer constantly, then you, you build a good horse. Right. So uh, one of the things that I, um, was looking at on the surface level that I've been looking forward to speaking with you about is, um, you know, you mentioned natural horsemanship a few minutes ago, and uh, I know that it's evolved and there's been a lot of development in the, the current status of horsemanship. Now, how does that differ from the historic ways of training a horse and what do we gain from that in today's world? Well, the the historic way of training a horse is to to kind of beat it out of them you, uh -huh. you're, you're doing a fear-based uh training process so you're not trying to uh work with the horse and right now it's understanding the horse's behavior you need to start learning the the psychology of this you need to build trust with the horse in yourself you uh need to work on the nonverbal communication so you need to be able to understand why the horse is what it's do doing what it's doing and what its um communication means like what are the emotional signs what are it what is what every movement of the ear means something what does it mean when it swats its tail what does it mean when it's shaped this way what does it mean you need to understand pressure and release of pressure as a reward system for the horse you have to work groundwork and emphasize that in like a uh, the manner that they would do in the wild so that you are replicating their natural uh, processes. You need them to feel safe. Um, it's if you go into the with this approach, then you build a bond and a relationship with your horse. And the old way wasn't they they thought that the Dorrance brothers were crazy. Like Ray Hunt was crazy. These are the 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 goats, the, the grandfathers of this natural horsemanship style. And they were laughed off the stage essentially. And they were doing amazing things, but the, the Cowboys were like, no, what are you doing? You, you're going to get hurt doing it that way is, was their uh, initial thought process because for the longest time it was you no know, tie that horse up and, and, you know, don't feed it. Don't uh, give it water for X amount of days, then get on it. And like all these pretty brutal processes to get the horse to do something but all you're doing is is 
scaring that horse into submission and and possibly setting it up to to blow up later when if you follow the process that we have now you you really get all of that out of it and and this horse is willing and and excited to to play the games with you so yeah so i'm familiar with the term breaking a horse and i think that's what you're referring to when you uh and when you get into the historic ways, it's the idea that a horse needs to be tamed. The horse needs to be broken of its previous ways and taught this new way. Well, just like human beings um, who can get broken down by their circumstances, their experiences, uh, you alluded to this, they can become unbroken and it could backfire on you, especially if you were the one that did the breaking. Yeah. Um, the The breaking process is you get this horse, you know, this horse probably hasn't, it, it goes back to breaking the spirit of the horse. That, that was like the goal of the breaking process. And you want them to be submissive and obedient. And you're trying to, to you, you'll get on this horse without any of the groundwork, without building any bonds. You're just getting on this horse. The horse is going to go through its bucking process and you're going to ride out the buck. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's a sense of, brutality in my opinion not that horses don't buck when you go through all the right process of horsemanship it still happens but you you try to to calm it down and 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 you could really get it with you a lot quicker if you go through the natural horsemanship style rather than just you know breaking its spirit and submitting it uh it's i mean the contrast if you look at old videos of the old way and, and you look at videos of like Buck Brandeman and some of these amazing horsemen that are doing it this way and, and put them next to each other, you can see without a doubt that the old way was pretty brutal. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't want to be the person responsible for that if that uh if that horse all of a sudden decides enough of this shit. Yeah. I mean yeah. just just when my when my wife came into this, she she follows the uh, natural horse horsemanship style and she does resistance free and and that was even further, like it, it, it made me have to think about where I'm at, what I was doing. And it's, it's changed my concept. Her and I have the same philosophy and we want to do what is best for the horses. And she brought it to a whole nother level. She's just amazing with it um, at, at a level that is, is usually even today, like, oh, that's silly, which hopefully someday that just becomes the normal. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and looking into you a little bit, uh, you know, you strike me as being a bit of a, a renaissance man. You've got several different aspects to you. Uh, you know, you have the, you know, you have the, you have the, the horse business. You are in computer science. You've done innovation when it comes to merging information technology with the horse business. Uh, you are actually going for a master's in computer science. And you've spoken several times of your family so you have businesses school and family and there are several different sides to you and i wanted to get your 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 thoughts on how you manage that and how you thrive with that uh because one of the things i see in the in the online entrepreneurial world is and i'm told this all the time is you the way you're going to succeed is if you focus on just one thing and where that got me into a trap with my business that I'm still digging out of in all candor is I tried going for that one thing. And I think in leadership, most of us have heard of the analogy of the rocks, the pebbles, and the sand. 
if you're basing everything on one rock, you still got a lot of room in the bucket and yeah. you're depending on there being a supply of rocks and rocks are harder to come by than sand as you well know. So how do you, you know, how do you balance all this and how does you, how do you make it serve you so effectively? Well, uh, I go about it a little bit like that, I suppose. Uh, my rock is the horses and I've, I've dedicated and I've, I've vowed to put my life out there for horses and I'm going to, you know, try to be an industry changer and make sure that people in this recreational side of horsemanship or, or the horse business world, uh, start bringing good, good horsemanship into it. Uh, so my, my thing is horses and horse business. And that's like my rock. And what works so well with the family side is my wife is an amazing horse woman herself in her own right. And so she is every bit a part of the business, every bit. Of, she's my partner. She's my partner in life and in family and in business. And so, uh, that was a huge part. If I didn't have a partner, uh, uh, you know, that did this and was as passionate about it as me, then there's no way we could do that. She's, she's the barn manager of, of our, our ranch right now. Uh, and she was the barn manager of the last one. And she's, uh, she takes care of the, the horse, the, all the horse care and, and finding the right supplements and the right, uh, um, vet and the right farrier and, and making sure that our horses are taken care of at the, the best possible way that all comes from her and she, she does an amazing job and then she co-trains the horses with me and she brings in a, a strong foundational piece of this whole thing she organizes me i could see the forest but i can't really see the trees and she sees the tree really well real real detailed and so between the two of us we're we're a dynamic team uh and then it's also where your other partners are a, a good friend of mine is is my business partner here and him and his wife take they 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 do a very strong part of the of the business too. They take on the administrational side. They take on the the uh, uh, some of the the HR and PR and and so with our team on the top level, we we hit all facets. Uh, the our daughter comes to the ranch every day all the time with us when we're there, and then at this point, I, I have you know a dozen employees. The the place runs well and. And once you get it, I've scaled a business that everyone says is non-scalable. I did it. And so now I have a little bit extra time on my hands and, and I'm not someone who can work well with extra time. So I threw some school on top of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so the school is what I'm hearing is actually an addition to what you're doing primarily. So it's in that, so it's a way of expanding your horizons, but it's not really the primary thing. Not that's yeah, not important. I, it, no, it's very important. Just it is the secondary. I would always choose the businesses over over the school temporarily, and then get back at it when I can. Uh, but it doesn't go anywhere. I if I if I have to uh, prolong it, that's fine. It, it's still there. The education will be there when I'm ready to go back and do it, and, and I'll get it eventually. And my goal is to to put some more innovation into this horse industry. It. There's there's so many different areas that that could be um, uh, fixed and and there's a lot of progression in the tech world that could be implemented into uh, the horse world, ag world, ranching in in general. And uh, you know, I, I I see it coming, and I'd like to be a part of it. So great, Ab absolutely. So I think there's a lesson in that too. Is that sometimes it's important for us to give ourselves grace that there's 
really only so many things we can move forward at one time. And also, it's perfectly okay to not be uh, perfect and number one at every single thing. And what I mean by that is, quite simply, you have created a hierarchy of importance. The, the horse businesses are going to be the most important thing. And your work with computer science is something that is of high interest to you. But if that's the thing that needs to take a little longer uh, or what have you, that's actually okay with you. You don't have uh, such an, like an ego drive to it that you would view yourself as a failure if you needed to, say, move your graduation date back another semester or something like that. No, I'm I'm constantly doing that. I I, yeah. I keep going to school. Uh, if I if I find that I'm that I'm lacking somewhere, I I will go to school and I'll take a class on accounting if I need to, or or business, or you know what whatever it is. School is such a a beautiful thing, and and there's there's community colleges with with good insight, and then there's you know state colleges and universities, and it's it's not hard to get in when when you have established yourself already and you're. You're not a traditional student, and um, I've, I haven't had a problem, you know, jumping in, taking a few classes, and then hopping to another school. I've I've been doing that for quite a long time, and I, yeah, it's uh, it it almost makes me feel normal. I get to go to school and and uh, just be a student for a little bit, get some some knowledge, and then uh, go back to my uh, high stakes life. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So as we wrap up here, I just want to make sure that. Everybody knows where to find you. Uh, the website is www.oceanviewstables.com. That's www.oceanviewstables.com. And when I visit the website, a few things that are really intriguing to me are uh, you have a very interesting blog where we go into greater detail on some of the things we touched on in our conversation today. And I think overall, just by visiting the site, people can get a sense of how a horse business works and how you develop this thing over time. And I think there are some additional lessons, whether you're interested in going to ride a horse or get horse photography or, or an oceanside trail ride or something along those lines uh, or board your horse, whatever it is. These are just some of the things that you offer. And uh, I would encourage people just to look at the uh, online booking system, which I had a chance to peruse myself. So I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada. So it's on, likely that I'll be on your doorstep tomorrow for a horse ride. But if I'm ever in your neighborhood, I may check it out. Yeah. Yeah. You can check ours out. It'd be a, a great thing. Uh, if you're in San Francisco, we're just a few minutes away from the San Francisco zoo and just 10 minutes away from the the airport. Uh, it's a, it's a fun experience. We're, we're, we're growing. Uh, we just, the next thing we're doing is putting pods on the back end so that they face the ocean. And these are rooms that you'll be able to stay in. And we're putting a, uh, cowboy cookout style uh food truck restaurant on the property it'll be like a beer and wine garden uh so we have a lot of plans to turn this into something quite amazing it'll be kind of like a tiny guest ranch in san francisco oh that's uh that's that would be a unique experience for somebody who's going to san francisco say for business reasons um uh, you can stay you can stay in one of those places and add a day or two to your itinerary and really get into this and as far as uh whether you should add a coffee shop, I think that's going to be very popular. Oh, yeah. There'll be coffee at the Callaway Cookout. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks. Yep. So once again, uh, the website for everybody is www.oceanviewstables.com. And Zachary Layden, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Yeah, it was a great conversation. Thank you. 
We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.